Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast with your host, Beth Quas. Before we get started, we have a few quick notes. Don't Eat Your Young is a listener-supported podcast. To learn more about becoming a member and the perks available to you for becoming a patron yourself, visit patreon.com slash don't eat your young. You can learn more about the show, share your story to join Beth as a guest, or connect with our wonderful community in our Facebook group. You can find all those links and more at don'teatyouryoung.com. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Don't Eat Your Young. I'm your host, Beth Quas. Today, I'm excited to have Troy McMullen on the show. He's been an RN for three years, uh, spent a lot of time in different uh, places within the hospital, and now he is a traveling nurse. So I'm excited to have him on and tell us what he's experienced out there. So welcome to the show, Troy. Hi, how are you doing, Beth? I'm doing great. Um, I'm excited to have you here today uh, and to hear all about your experiences. You're a younger nurse compared to some of the people I've been on here. So I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, how it's been, especially since COVID and you're traveling now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, So I'm 29. Um, I live in upstate New York. Uh, So I've been a nurse now for three years. Uh, Right now, uh, I'm traveling. you know, traveling nurse assignment. And uh, so my backgrounds, um, I graduated nursing school and I started working off in a cardiac um, ICU, you know, so I gained all, you know, a lot of uh, experience quick, um, you know, in that one year. And I've always wanted to be an ER nurse. Um, that was always my thing. Um, so once I kind of got my year down in the specialty that I was in, um, I decided to go further into the emergency department, worked in the ER for probably about six months. And I absolutely loved it. I loved everything about nursing. I loved what I did. I enjoyed going to work. I was excited to go to work every day. And then unfortunately COVID happened, you know, being a new nurse at the time I had to really, you know, not only adapt to being an ER nurse, but holy crap, we're going through this pandemic that nobody knows anything about at the time. You know, it was very scary to healthcare workers, to the public. And, you know, we were obligated to still go to work and do our job as nurses and take care of um, sick people. How big was the hospital you were at at that time? So the hospital that I, I was at was a level two trauma center. You know, so it was a relatively large hospital. Um, we had six floors um, for med surge, uh, labor and delivery. We had a neuro ICU and a normal ICU. We had a NICU and then the emergency department operating rooms, obviously. You know, so it was a very large, you know, I went to nursing school there at the hospital that I, you know, worked in the ER at, you know, so I was very comfortable working in that, you know, large hospital. So how were those first few months of when COVID hit? Because you're, you're so right. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what we were walking into every day we went into the hospital. And really, that was our job. And did you feel that you had what you needed from the hospital that you worked at? And how was it for you? When COVID first happened, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, it was a big shock to everyone. And uh, we had to adapt very quickly. Um, because there was people that were sick, they were dying and we had to do something, right? You know, as far as 
protective personal equipment. I have to say that I was very fortunate to be provided the materials that I needed to, to do my job for the most part. But once I started traveling, uh, once I left the ER to travel around the state, uh, that's when I really started to see, holy crap, like there isn't enough PPE. There, is, I mean, I worked in a long-term care facility. That was my first traveling assignment. You know, I, I went to a long-term care facility to help out in the nursing home. And we were wearing the same gown all day. Um, and it wasn't your normal, um, you know, light yellow PPE that you're able to breathe and take off. It was this heavy, I felt like a, like a mat that you just wore. And I mean, I had, I had CNAs passing out and this was in the middle of the summer. I had CNAs passing out on the floor, like right in front of me, just collapsing because they were dehydrated. They were overworked. They were overheated from the PPE that they were wearing all day. The masks were concerning. You know, we had to wear the same N95s all day. If you were lucky to get an N95, I feared for myself. I feared for my other core workers. I myself am immunocompromised. I have asthma. And so I was, you know, high risk for at that time, you know, at the time, the variant that we had was very deadly. I was at risk to get that. Thank God I didn't get COVID. I don't know how I didn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is crazy who it hits and who it doesn't and timing. And well, I commend you for going in and you didn't shy away from COVID. You went to where they needed you. So how did you make that decision to travel and, and go to those places? Um, so at the time when COVID happened, um, like I said, it was a big scare. So the general public, you know, they were afraid to come to the hospital for your, you know, your normal aches and pains and, you know, other crap that you might see come through the ER. You know, the med search floors were empty. They stopped ORs. They completely shut down the ORs. So there was no surgeries. And the surgeries bring in a lot of um, money, you know, et cetera, to the hospitals, especially your orthopedic surgeries. And they weren't doing that. So they were calling nurses and saying, hey, don't come in today. You know, there's not enough patients. You know, we have too many nurses on. Take the night off. Which was nice, but it got to the point where it was happening more frequent. And, you know, we all have bills to pay. You know, cost of living is going up. And I couldn't just sit home and get called off every day and not get paid for it. And so there was a need you know, down south in New York State, you know, such as places like New York City at the time where COVID really took over. You know, I worked halfway between New York City and Syracuse at the time um, down in a small city called Binghamton. There just were no staff. They were hurting. There were really, really sick COVID patients at the time down in the southern tier of New York State. It didn't really affect New York, the upper New York State at the time yet. I mean, we still had, you know, a couple cases here and there, but I mean, the southern part of New York State was absolutely just, just everybody had it. You know, there was to the point where they were sending the National Guard in um, to help with staffing. And um, so, yeah. That is crazy. So, in this long term care facility you went to, how was that? Number one, you hadn't done that really except as a student right sure exactly so how did that assignment go for you it was the saddest thing i've ever seen in my entire life these elderly people that have dementia that may have um, intellectual disability or developmental delay that are in nursing homes they need they need their family they need that support they need to see 
a familiar face. And these elderly people were locked in their rooms. Um, they weren't allowed in the hallways. They weren't allowed in the recreational areas where they previously before COVID were able to go out and have, you know, play bingo or, you know, they would have, you know, Thanksgiving dinners together and stuff like that. They all stopped. And these, and these, these residents could not come out of the rooms at all. They were confined in their, in their rooms. Like if they came out into the hallway, Hey, Miss Grady, you have to go back in your room. And these people, this is their home. They live there. And what really bothered me is I don't feel they were protected. They weren't protected from staff that, you know, were COVID positive, bringing COVID into the nursing homes. They didn't protect those cases, those residents' rights. And I felt that prisoners had more freedom than these elderly people. I mean, they couldn't, their families could not come and see them. And they, they would die alone with, with, with nobody but these staff that they don't even know. They don't know. Yes, were we able to do FaceTime and that, that kind of stuff? Yeah. But that's not the same as your, as your, as your son touching your face or mom, dad, it's going to be okay. Like there's those people died alone from COVID in their nursing home. I remember getting floated to specifically, um, you know, so I was an RN obviously in the nursing home and there wasn't, weren't very many, many RNs. So I did a lot of supervision type duties such as paperwork and um, supervision kind of things. And I remember floating down to the COVID unit and it was, I don't know if you've ever seen like the old military movies where um, it was people, they were bed to bed, to bed next to each other in a ward. They took a, a cafeteria made it into a, um, what do we call them? Just isolation room. They made it into a huge airborne room and in a cafeteria and they had patient, elderly patients, no privacy, bed to bed, to bed, male, female mixed together. Didn't matter. Bed to bed, to bed, to bed, to bed. And they all had COVID and they just, they were the sickest patients. They were, they were confused. They were, it was the hardest. 13 weeks in my life. I bet. I can't imagine that. And I, you know, it, it truly, it brings tears to my eyes to hear that those people didn't deserve it. And I hope out of anything that we learned during this pandemic was how we don't want to do it next time. Those, we can't do that to those people, to anyone. And I think about the same in the hospital, the patients that come in, and didn't have family with them. And we knew if you were intubated at that time, the chances of you recovering from that were very small. Mm -hmm. And families, I don't know if they knew that, but it was hard for us as nurses too to know what we know. Yet we were everything to those people. You know, we were, we were their families. We were the people holding the iPads and the iPhones and and when there was time letting people talk to their family. So I, um, I thank you for doing what you did. And I'm sure you have nightmares of that time. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, you know, as, as nurses, we took an oath to be there and um, take care of sick people, you know, and cause no harm. And I feel, I mean, I know that the nursing staff had no control over, obviously, you know, what happened to these elderly folks. Um, but I just, I feel like the system failed them. 
politics failed them. Most people didn't have to die. And if they were going to die, they did not have to die the way that they did. And you're right. Uh, so many things came into play. And the nurses out there taking care of those patients were doing everything they could, the best that they could with what they had at the time. So we as nurses, I know we have the National Nurses March coming up and we all need to come together and be part of the decision making and what happens because we lived through it. You lived through it. You saw it better than anyone what happened out there. And I think that is amazing that you're coming on here and telling people how it was. So where did you go after that assignment? After that assignment, I continued to travel. Um, I took a, a COVID ICU position down in the local southern part of the New York State. <laughs> that assignment didn't last very long. I was there six weeks and I couldn't do it anymore. I was taking eight patients at a time in an ICU. We were giving them Decadron and we were doing... So, you know, Decadron can make people very mentally unstable to the point to where they're they're very agitated they you know they're pulling their tubes out and you know just it, it does weird things to the mind right so to stop these patients from pulling tubes and getting out of bed etc we had to restrain them so i was doing restraint documentation eight patients managing drips and i walked out of work every single day feeling like I just carried the whole world. I I was so drained. I didn't I couldn't think. I would drive home and miss my exit to get home. And there was points to where I would be I would be on the I'm a grown man. Like I, I like I don't cry very much. Like I go to work. I've always been a worker. There was times where I would be on the ground at home on the floor crying because I didn't want to go to work. But I have bills to pay. I have, you know, and and it's nursing is all I know. Absolutely. You know, I've been a CNA, I've been a tech, and now an RN. Healthcare is all I know. That assignment didn't last very long. Did you choose then to stop that assignment? I did. I did. I didn't feel. Um, I felt like my license was at risk, um, especially with the restraint documentation. You know, it was just, it was very unsafe. You know, and also there, the PPE that we had was very minimal. You know, and at the time, you know, I was engaged and had a little girl at home and you know, I didn't want to risk bringing stuff, anything home to them. It was really hard. Absolutely. And number one, no ICU nurse should have eight patients. Number two, restraint charting is impossible to keep up with. It is crazy. It is. And for you to do that, plus you're also trying to save these people's lives and keep them alive. Right. Impossible to ask you to do what you were being asked to do. And so was that because there was a shortage of nurses? Was it that there were that many patients? Why do you, what led to that? There were that many sick patients. And um, I also feel like this, the the staffing short. There was just this big staffing shortage. Every every everyone was scared. Yes, and they couldn't. They couldn't. They just they couldn't keep staff. They just couldn't because nobody nobody wanted to. Not not that they didn't want to deal with it, but they just they couldn't. They have a license to protect. 
you know, uh, because if I get sued for something, I'm a traveler. You know, I don't, I don't have a hospital or a union backing me up. Right. I'm a young nurse and I would like to keep my license for, you know, the rest of my career. So, Absolutely. And what you felt and what you described is so normal for what people were going through at that time. And so I'm glad you realized that that wasn't sustainable and you walked away before, before your patients had a bad outcome, before you had a bad outcome yourself, before something happened to your license. You know, we feel the guilt of taking care of patients and wanting to be there for them and caring for our coworkers, but we have to take care of ourselves. So I'm glad you did that. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing that I always try to press to, especially the newer nurses, is that it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, I can't answer that call bell. It's okay to say, no, I, I, I can't help you turn that patient right now. Like, it's okay. You know, that, that other coworker, they might get upset with you. They might, but you have to mentally take care of yourself at work. And that's, that's really the biggest thing. I am so glad you said that. And everybody needs to know that. Number one, it's you. It's you and that you have to take care of first. Just like when you're on an airplane, they say, if the mask comes down, put it on yourself first before helping others. We have to know that that's okay, that we can do that. Because sometimes I feel like nobody cares what's happening to us. Just take care of patients, get the revenue, keep the hospital running. Exactly. But nurses right now are suffering from all kinds of, call it what you want, PTSD, burnout, moral injury, Mm -hmm. compassion, Mm -hmm. fatigue. It's all of those things Mm -hmm. coming together. Yeah, it is. You know, about the last time that I spoke with you, um, I actually had a really nasty cold last week before I went on vacation. And I'll never forget this. Um, so I was working in the emergency department at my current assignment. Um, this has been a pretty uh, decent assignment. I've been with this hospital for, geez, six months. I keep, you know, resigning my contract. With them. You know, it's a pretty decent assignment. Um, so I was floating down to the ER, taking care of five patients, you know, whatever, normal, normal, normal nurse to patient ratio. You know, I had a patient who was infused, you know, kept pull, pulling out his IVs. I had to put like three or four IVs in, in the poor guy. And so there was a, a psych patient next to him with a one-to-one sitter. Well, I've got other patients that I'm taking care of. We don't have bed alarms down in the ER, you know, and so he kept pulling up to get to the bathroom. So I go out to the charge nurse. I go, hey, you know, I, I really can't keep an eye on him every two seconds. I go, We're, I'm busy, you know, I'm hanging drips and this person's blood pressure's through the roof. Like I got to get them to CT, you know, just that kind of stuff. So he's like, okay, we'll have the, uh, the sitter next to him, you know, pop the curtain open and kind of cohort the, the sitter. So I'm like, okay. So I go out and let her know, well, I'm taking care of my patients. The, one of the techs comes to me and goes, hey, she goes, I haven't seen the patient in a few minutes. So I go to the sitter, I go, well, Hey, where'd, where'd the patient go? Oh, I'm sorry. He got up and went to the bathroom again. Uh, okay. So me and the tech go and knock on the door. No response. Open the bathroom door. This man is on his back in the bathroom floor. So we start compressions on him, right? In the bathroom floor. Um, one of the techs brings the cart in. I'm screaming for help. I hit the code button. You know, he's skin and bone. So we were able to lift him up off the bathroom floor and get him on the stretcher. 
I jump on the stretcher and I'm straddling the stretcher, doing compressions as they're pushing the bed out to the bay. They bring the coat, you know, the crash cart in and, you know, we resuscitated him back. And, and, that, and that's the kind of thing that when I spoke to you last time is that these patients, they are only dying from COVID, but they are dying from the lack of staffing. They're dying, they're dying from the lack of being able to be watched or, you know, monitored. It's a good thing you got in there and found him, but you were busy too. What are we going to do? I mean, patients come in and they want help and it's not, it's not on you because you're busy doing everything else. And it's, where do we change it? More staff? Is that what we need? I, I, we, we do. We need more staff. I was beating myself up pretty hard. About it. You know, I, I'm like, man, I should have been watching him more closely. You know, I should have, you know, that blood pressure could have waited maybe like, you know, just those little things that I thought of and I shouldn't have had to have those thoughts because I'm only one person. Right. We need, we need more, we need more CNA, even from nurses. We need more CNAs. We need more techs. We need, we need all hands on at this point because patients are dying from reasons other than just COVID. Patients are waiting in the ERs, you know, for 16, 24 hours with emergent situations where they need emergent surgery. You know, they're dying from from MIs in, in, in the ER. They're dying from just crazy things that shouldn't, they should have been addressed. You know, infection, sepsis, just dying in, in the waiting rooms. This isn't COVID that is that are killing these patients. It's we don't have enough staff. You don't have, you don't have enough. Do you think patients still have the mentality that they shouldn't come to the hospital unless, unless they have COVID or they're not coming because of COVID? Do you think they, do you think that's still happening? Absolutely. I do. You know, a lot of times I hear from my patients, you know, this hospital sucks. This place sucks. This sucks. These doctors suck. These nurses don't know what they're doing. And they get so angry. And I I understand what they're what they're saying because I I've, I've been a patient before, I've been that patient that's waited hours and I get a little irritated when people aren't able to communicate with me, you know I, I get that, but the I feel like the patients maybe should also look at it from another perspective is these professionals are doing everything that they can short staffed to take care of me. And, you know, maybe I don't need to hit that call bell to do something that I'm physically able to do at home. You know, I, and that's the thing that I see with patients and we laugh about it as nurses now, like, oh, they could wash their hair and brush their teeth before they came into the ER, but, you know, they got a bellyache and they can't do it now. You know, and it's like, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like patients really need to take a step back, breathe, and, you know, that nurse will be with you. Uh, you know, that, that CNA will, will be with you. Um, and if, if they forget, we're sorry. We're, we're, we're swans and it's burning. It's, it, it's, it's, it's beating up the nurses, you know, because we're not, we're, we're wearing 10 hats. Right. Right. I, and I think that's what this is about. I, I so appreciate you telling this story because Nurses know it. They're like, yeah, we know. But it's about letting the public know 
what's happening in the hospitals and clinics and, you know, anywhere you're getting your health care. We're running everywhere. We're doing so many different things. Plus, we're trying to chart. We're trying to take care of patients. We're trying to use all of these things without less hands, without less time. It's just get more and more done with little help. And I agree when you say, if we could get more help from nurses' aides, techs, pay them appropriately. Because if I had the choice of either working at a convenience store or being an aide for the same amount of money, being an aide is one of the hardest jobs anyone can do. Exactly. Very, and very thankless. Yeah. They work hard. And if you have a good aid or you have enough aids, it can make your day go so much better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'm glad that you said that. Um, you know, because really there's there's some days where we have, we do have the aids, we do have the tox, and they're able to grab our blood sugars or they're able to grab those two, four vital signs that seem like it's the end of the world for a nurse when their day is just chaotic. Right. Um, or they're able to bring that patient down to CT. You know, those are the things that can make that 12-hour or 16-hour shift just a little bit easier. Yes. And when we have it, it's I appreciate the heck out of it because it doesn't happen often. So uh, yeah, it's good to go. It's good to go home after a long days of work and be like, okay, I had help today. Like it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Yeah, it it really does make or break our day when we have the right amount of help. We have a lot to do, and when we have somebody there that, like you said, can do those things and remember to do those things and keep an eye on the time that helps us out immensely. So, you know, we have a lot of reform to do. Yeah. And another thing I'd like to point out that I see often is there's kind of a a toxic relationship lately with nurses and CNAs and techs, you know, because there's, there's maybe, there might be only one or two techs on the floor. And if you're lucky, those techs, they work hard. I remember being a tech. They do. They work hard. They answer call bells. They, they're flipping patients. They're writing. They're doing, they, they have a lot going on too. It doesn't benefit you as a nurse to be nasty to your CNA or tech because they forgot to grab a vinyl sign or they're not able, they have to say no and say, I can't help you flip your patient right now because I'm busy. And they, you know, and I've seen nurses get very nasty with them and, and you know, the, the, the techs will talk about the nurses and the nurses will talk about the techs when they don't do anything, but they don't do anything like this, all that needs to stop. You know, if somebody's, if somebody's nasty and mean to me, I'm not going to want to help you. I'm going to want to walk away and go find another nurse that's nicer to me and I'm going to go help them. You know, it's so that's human it, nature. It is. It is. And so just like the nurses are burned out, the techs are burned out too. And I feel like the nurses also need to lighten up a little bit on the aids because they're, they're working their butts off just like the nurses. Yeah, they're going through the same things that the nurses are. So I totally agree with you. Absolutely. So Troy, what are you doing now? Are you still, so are you going to continue traveling, do you think? Until a reform is done. To where they are willing to pay 
hospital staff that are doing just the same work as travelers until until they are willing to pay the same. I mean, why would I go work for a facility as a staff nurse, working my butt off, making half of what I am as a traveler? Doing the same job. Doing the same exact job. Even in the same hospital. You're right. And right now, I'm on a local contract. So I'm a traveling nurse, and I drive a half hour from my own home to get to work. And I make double of what a staff nurse does who lives, who lives the same distance away. Yeah, I I see it. People are leaving their jobs, and they're going to travel. And, you know, you have to do what you have to do for yourself. It's not about putting a cap on travel nurse day, okay? It's about paying your staff members what us travelers are making because nurses nurses are worth way more than what we get paid. And we're, you know, nurses are retiring. Nurses are leaving the profession to not do patient care anymore. We're not going to have nurses coming in to go to school to pay the money for an education when you come out and your job is impossible to do. So I agree with you. Pay is just part of it. Pay is a big part of it, but it's the schedule. It's while you're there on your shift, you have to be have a manageable workload. Absolutely. So, so much needs to change. And that's why we need nurses just like you that'll come out and tell your story. Let people know what's actually going on because we're not hearing it from administrators. And I don't think the media has the right story. I don't think they're talking to the right people right now. So I hope we can get your story out far and wide and let people know this is what's happening and it's going to affect your mother, your father, your sibling, your whatever. Family members are going to be affected when they come to the hospital with the way healthcare is right now. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. What else do you want us to know about you, Troy? I I want you guys to know that I am a young nurse, very energetic, and I'm going to keep keep on keeping on and um, know that there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. But we have to keep we have to keep speaking, we have to keep advocating, and I think we can make this happen. And I would have to say, Troy, you're a young nurse, but you are wise beyond your years just listening to you <laughs> talk you you know so much you've seen so much and i hope that you're uh, able to take care of yourself and not have the guilt of what you've seen in the past um hinder you from moving forward thanks Beth. i appreciate it and i appreciate you you know um doing this podcast and you know getting getting us uh out there you know us nurses um who want our voices heard. And it's not all doom and gloom. I don't want this podcast to be all doom and gloom. We do great care every day and we take care of amazing patients and we are just working hard to make it even better than what it is right now. Absolutely. I thank you so much, Troy, for coming on and telling your story. And I hope that your career just continues to flourish. I think it will. (laughs) I do too. Thanks, Troy. All right. Thank you, Beth.
Donut Your Young was produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by The Lighthearts. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at DonutYourYoung.com. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. But the best thing you could do to support the show is to share it with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.